Well, good morning again. I uh, want to again just thank you for being here, and we are uh, we are starting a brand new series today. A new series, uh, really, just kind of focusing on on one book of the Bible. It's called Journey of Faith. That's what we're that's what we're calling. We're we're focusing in on this one this one book called Hebrews, and we chose Hebrews, this particular book of the Bible, because it has a significantly high view of Christ. Not that they all don't. But this one specifically does. Because we we don't know who wrote it. We don't know fully who put the pen to paper on this particular book. Uh, Some speculate that it was Paul uh, because of some of the words and the way it's written. Though Paul never really, he called himself a a minister to the the Gentiles. Uh, But yet it could have been Paul. There's some references to Timothy in this book. And some other things we don't know. Uh, some have said Apollos and other people. We, we just flat don't know who wrote this book. Probably for the best. It, 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 we're not going to get lost in all of that. We know that whoever wrote it was inspired by God and it is for us. And the reason why it was written, we do know why it was written. It's very clear in this book. It was written to struggling Christians. These Hebrew Christians, these Jewish Christians brand new Christians, everybody was pretty much brand new Christian in those days, they're struggling a little bit because, well, things are happening. They're being persecuted. Stuff is going against them uh, uh, in, in, in politics. Stuff is going against them in their normal life. They're, they're, some of their family is falling away. It is a very difficult time to be a Christian, and they're also, they're, they're leaving this works-based religion called Judaism. It's works-based that means I'm trying to make God happy, as if God himself cannot sustain his own happiness. But they're trying to make God happy, and so their, their whole lives have been spent trying to do things that, that, that not to upset this God and not to make God mad at you for any reason. And so they're struggling with this new concept of Jesus, and that God is, well, like Rocky said, he loves us. It's a new concept to them. They're struggling with this. They're having a hard time, and so as things are getting harder, they also kind of had this this thought in their mind that, well, I'm a Christian now, things should be easy. It should be easy to be a Christian, right? That's understandable, right? I I have that thought. I I think that there should be things that that should be easier for me, that temptation should be, well, like the song says, it should just fade, dim, grow dim as I keep my eyes on Jesus, but that's not the case. Temptation feels harder. Feels more difficult. Feels like it's, it's all over me sometimes, and I, I struggle in this life. I know exactly how these people feel. And so this is why the book is written. It's written to, to point them at one thing, to point them to one thing to keep them uh, to keep them going in this life. The, the author is trying to get them to understand that, that faith is where it is at. Faith. This whole journey of faith that we have to have. J.D. Greer said that faith is acting in a way now that you'll be glad you did later. That though I may not feel like acting like this, I may not feel like choosing to do this right now, I'll sure be glad I did it later. And he's trying to get them to to hone in on this this concept of faith. But what are they having to put their faith in? 
that word faith kind of means that you, you throw the whole weight of your life on it. That it is supporting everything that you are. What are they putting their weight into? And this is the phrase, ready? Jesus is better. If you get that phrase right here, Jesus is better, you'll understand Hebrews pretty well. He's better than religious things. He's better than irreligious things. He is better. Life with Jesus is better. If you get this, you're not going to have any problems with Hebrews whatsoever. Jesus is better. I should have put a period in there. Period. Than anything. So let's get into it. You got your Bibles? Hebrews chapter 1 is kind of toward the back of your Bible. If you're not familiar really with the Bible, you, you can, you can, if you got there you're on your phone or wherever, it's toward the back of your Bible, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times and in various ways. We're going to stop there. We're already into it. There's a huge truth already been dropped right on us, and it is that God spoke. God spoke. Why, why would he want to, to speak to me? Why, why would he want to do that? He, he has spoken, and not only that, he has spoke many times and in various ways. What he is looking at here, and the, the, the author is kind of pointing back to the Old Testament. Now, to them, it was just Testament. It wasn't old. <laughs> That's all they had. But that's what he's leaning back into. He said, man, he spoke to us through prophets and he spoke to us through, through, through epic stories and through history and through poetry and through love stories. The, the Old Testament is full of different ways of communication. But not only that, man, he spoke through burning bushes, donkeys, children, not much difference. Women, they're, they're, he has spoke through many different avenues, many different ways. Rich people, poor people, many different ways. He is approaching them and he is speaking to them and God is doing this in a way because he has created you and I very diversely and we, we learn differently and God has not, that's not beyond God, he created you and he is trying to connect with you and he has done this in various ways. It says, he wants to communicate something. He's trying to. Paul said of the Old Testament in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he said this, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us whom the culmination of the ages have come. What, what, what we read in the Old Testament is examples and their, 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 their warnings, that they, they are for our benefit. God is trying to get a hold of us. He is trying to get to us. He is not silent about his, his plans, past, present, and even future, which makes scripture very unique, that there is prophecy in it. He is trying to communicate with people. He has used systems and traditions really to act as a shadow, pointing to something else in the Old Testament. He is pointing to something that is making that shadow. And these people struggled with it. They struggled. 
and we leave the Old Testament, and it's 400 years before God says anything else. So for you, it's one page between your Old Testament and your New Testament there. For these people, it was 400 years of God just quiet. And then he did something. He, he did something very special. We're going to look at it in just a second. I, I remember when I was, uh, when, when Kayla and I thought she was pregnant with Lewis, uh, our firstborn, we, we were not really like thinking about kids, like we weren't thinking about it, it just happened. And like, so she, she comes in here and she takes this test and it's, 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 she brings it out, it's got lines on it, like one or two or a dotted line, or you gotta like read Morse code in order to read uh, uh, pregnancy tests. And so we, we, we think that she's pregnant, so we made an appointment with our doctor to confirm if the $2 test was right. And sure enough, man, there he was. And so we go in there, and they, 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 they take us in at one point early on, and they, we go in this little bitty room. All the lights are off. And they get this jelly, and they tell her it's going to be cold. I don't know why they don't just warm it up. They say that like every time, it's going to be cold. And they put it on her stomach, and they put that, 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 little, that little device, and they, they, they kind of cram it in there, and it, can't, it doesn't look comfortable at all. I'm so glad she's dealing with it. And, and, and they're, they're looking around all over, and all of a sudden, man, you see this thing, and you're like, what is it? Like, what am I looking at? What am I looking at in, in this? What am I, that's what they're showing me, right? And they're like, you know, and I think, I think, I think like women fake it. They're like, oh, it's so amazing. And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm looking at, like a large intestine. And so, so they have to explain every little bit to you. This is his head, and these are his fingers, and that's him reading a book. And so they're, 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 they're explaining all this to you. And so we go back on the 20th week, man, and it's the big one, right? It's the one. They ask you, do you want to know if you, do you want to know the, the gender of the baby? Do you want to know what it's going to be? And Kayla and I on that first one, we said, sure, yeah, tell us. And, and uh, that, that was our big gender reveal. It had to do with five guys, burgers and fries and some text messages, and that was our big gender reveal. We didn't really do it up like they do on social media. We should have, I guess, shot a cannon or wrote, wrote in the sky or something. I don't know what they do, but... But we just went to five guys. And so we, they, they, they show us this, and this is what they show me. This is, this is around that time. They show this to me, and, and they're like, there it is. And I'm like, what? Like, I can't read this thing. And it, it was just as, I mean, no, he's getting bigger and more defined as we go, but I still can't tell. And I mean, so defined that we can tell what he is. And so they said, it's, it's a little boy. You know, the Bible's a lot like these sonograms. It's just, we get images of Jesus. We get, we get images. We, don't, we know what we're supposed to be looking at, but sometimes we're a little confused about it. And that was exactly how they were. They, they were just kind of having these images, but they really weren't getting the full picture And then we get to the New Testament, and something huge happens. Look at verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, capital S, 
whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So the second thing we see here is God's son. God spoke and now we see God's son. We see that, that, that God has, has sent Jesus and Jesus is the last, this is the last thing God's gonna say to us. He just sent Jesus and he said there. That's all of it. This one man is all of it. He is the, the representation of God. Look at verse three. Let me read it to you. This is how God has chosen to speak to humanity now. Before it was rituals and it was laws and it was this other stuff, trying to get some shadows in there so that, that they could maybe fully understand Jesus even though that is so difficult and it says this in verse three. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the power of his word. He, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty of heaven. So he sends Jesus as the radiance of God's glory. The radiance, that word, it's the only time it's really mentioned in scripture. Actually, it's weird, because Hebrews is full of those kinds of words. What scholars call logos legomena means once spoken. It's the only time they use that word, and that makes sense, right? When you're talking about Jesus, you don't just use common words. So he's using spe spectacular words here to get you to understand what we're talking about here. And this, this word radiance means reflected brightness. That's, that's the best we can come up with, reflected brightness. Have you ever... I did it being a punk. I don't know how, how maybe you've done it, but have you ever taken like a, uh, like a mirror and you got in the sun and like hit your buddy in the eyes with it? You know what I'm talking about? Like just being a punk, like, yeah, doing that or like, you know, I used to, if I'd wear a watch, you know, the sun could hit it just right, you could hit your buddy in the eye with it, and, you know, and then whatever. Just, this is what we're talking about. This, this focused brightness that, that the sun hits it and then it is directed so focused at something. And so God's brightness is focused on humanity through Jesus. And this is what God has done. The radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Do you know what that's saying? If you fell asleep, wake up for just two seconds. I want to tell you something. You can go back to sleep. Here we go. Ready? Jesus is God. The exact representation of God. He is God. We must remember that we're talking about Jesus. We must remember that when we're talking to other religions about Jesus. That is where the rub is going to hit. Jesus is God. He's the radiance of God's glory. It can be confusing anytime we see the words God's glory pop up. Uh, it, can be a little bit, it can be a little bit tricky because I mean, you hear people all the time say, I want to glorify God, or I just want to bring God glory. And, and the question is, what does that mean? To glorify. What does it mean? To simply put it, I guess, glory means that we reflect God's attributes back to him. Why? 
Because if I'm gonna honor God, I wanna honor God with the best. Not just the best I have, with the best. And the best is him. Does that make sense? The best is, is God. And so if I'm gonna honor God with the best, I honor him with himself. And so when I talk about bringing God glory, what I am saying is that I wanna reflect back to him himself. And that is what Jesus did. He is the, the radiance of God's glory. It, it is so, so brightly shining to God that, that he is God. We're gonna come back to that in a little bit because that's the question. So how do I, how do I reflect God back to himself? And that's where we enter Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of all of God so that I can now look at scripture See how Jesus lived his life. See how Jesus handled situations. See how Jesus talked to people and treated people and went about his business. And that's not just a good idea. That is how God would do it because he is God. So then I look at Jesus' life and I think, okay, if that's how Jesus handled the situation, here's what I need to do to bring God glory. What Jesus did. I need to get behind Jesus on all that. He is the representation of God. John said it like this at the very beginning of his, uh, of his letter. John 1, 14 says that the word became flesh and made uh, his dwelling among us, the word being Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the, only, the one and only son who came from the Father full of truth and grace. He's the fullness of who God is. This is why it helps us. This is why he has sent Jesus to be the full representation. It ends with Jesus. This is what Paul said about him. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, Jesus, all things were created, the things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The Greek word there for everything means everything. Everything he has the supremacy. The reason Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1 use such strong and clear language is because Jesus is God. He is not just a part of God or a really good dude. He is God. This is my only rub with the, the book now turned movie, The Shack. Uh, in that it, 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 it's a great fiction story, uh, I guess worth its while for that, but, but it represents God as a, as a woman to this man so that, he can, um, so that he can kind of understand a little better his situation he's in. The, problem, the only problem I have with that is if God becomes human, he becomes Jesus. That's who he's always going to be. He always looks like Jesus because Jesus is God. So why, why is all this important for us to understand? Why, why, why was it important for these believers? Why is it important for us? And this is why. Because when I'm reading scripture, 
or I'm hearing scripture or however that's playing out for me as I'm interacting with scripture and I come to something I don't understand, whether it's in the Old Testament or somewhere, I'm just kind of confused. I just need to look to Jesus. Jesus is the full representation of God. That, that's where I get when I'm stuck. Just look at Jesus. He will help you clarify things. He'll help us to unravel things. There is no confusion in him. Read, watch, look at Jesus. And what happened to them in their day is, if you read the rest of chapter one, he's gonna take in a very abrupt turn. Actually, the very next sentence, he takes a very abrupt turn. And he starts talking about angels. And the reason why he's talking about angels is because in the, in the Old Testament culture, angels were a big deal, right? They were a huge deal. They were very powerful. What they had to say was very important. If an angel came to you, it was of, an, it was of importance, just like when the angel came to Mary to tell him that you're gonna have the Son of God. It was a very big deal, and whenever they run into angels, there's one very consistent reaction to an angel. Fear. Something about them. So there was a lot of respect for angels, but they kind of got carried away with that, and they started to worship angels too. That's what man does. We, we will just pick something else up and try to, try to add it to the, to, the, to the mix because I don't know why we can't get it that Jesus is better than all these things, but that, that is what they did. And so they, they worshiped angels, and it's kind of hard for under, us to understand that because when we think of angels, we think of Michael Landon. What was that show? Uh... Highway to heaven, right? We, we think of fat babies or with wings. We, we, we think of angels like that. That's how we picture angels. We don't picture them like, like these beings with flaming swords and blazing glory all around them. We don't picture them like that. And so we struggle a little bit understanding how they could get so lost in this, but they were lost. And they, they had taken what God meant to just be a message <clears throat> it's just another one of the various ways he talked to people. And they started to worship the messenger more than the message. So God sent Jesus. Why? <laughs> because he's the messenger and the message. There ain't no getting off in Jesus, right? You can't get off course there. He's the message and the messenger. And so, so where does all this take us today? Where does all this kind of land for you and I? I mean, Jesus is God, and he's the final word from God, and he's greater than any other. We've established that, but how does that really impact you or I? If you do me a favor, since we're, we'll, 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 we can look at the, the, the angel stuff later, actually it comes back up, and we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later in this series but look at chapter two. Chapter two, verse one, it starts like this. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we don't drift away. That word careful attention, the most careful attention, literally means extraordinary, mind-blowing. 
you must pay extraordinary attention to something, to what we have heard. About what? About Jesus. If you don't pay careful attention to Jesus in your life, the warning here, and this is one thing that is very unique about Hebrews, there's several very, very heavy warnings that he gives us. We will drift away. The word drift, it's the only time it's used in scripture. Actually, it's the only time the word most careful attention is used in scripture. Like I said, he uses very specific words for this. He's trying to make a very specific point that if you don't pay extraordinary attention to Jesus, you are in danger of slipping away, just drifting away like a boat that's not tied up. You'll drift away. You'll go. This is a very significant thing because this is, this is what he's trying to get us to understand, that man, you, you can get off very quickly on other things other than Jesus, especially, ready? <clears throat> especially in the church. Not, not this church. Church is far, far away. But it can happen, man. You can get off on, on other things, on arguing about this or that, or I like this style of this, or I like the way this goes instead, or I like this and I want this, and you can get off on other things and nothing is more valuable than Jesus. <clears throat> this is why churches drift. It's why they drift. So the next verse we see that he's been pointing to something all along. And let me read it to you. This is the last point we're gonna look at and this is God's salvation and we're done. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm choking up here a little bit. It says this. For since the message through the angels was binding, we're back to angels. Their message was binding. The messages that they would tell is binding. And every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. This is his question. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified it to it by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That's the book of Acts. You want to read more about that sentence right there? It's the entire book of Acts. The author leans back in to these people's desire to, to go back to their old religion or at least try to marry it to Christianity. And he lands on something very sober. Under, under this system they want to go back to, it's binding. See that? For since the message of the angel through the angels was binding, this message in the Old Testament was binding. It's a legal term. Can't get out of it. So you know what happens? Every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. That word violation literally means to, to purposely jump across the line. You know what you're doing. Disobedience means that, that it's, it's really the sin of neglect. Didn't matter. That, that, you didn't, that, that wasn't really your intent, kind of a sin of omission. 
if you were guilty of it, you received your just punishment. So in the Old Testament, if, if I was caught in adultery, they killed me, they stoned me. If I got caught lying, they stoned me. Throw you out of the camp. Very clear lines, and they were never good. And he's saying, why do you want to go back to that? Why would you want to go back to that? Verse three, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? You won't. You won't go back. In chapter one, I skipped over a very important part on purpose. I skipped over Hebrews chapter one and verse three. We, we said the sun is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of his being is sustaining all things by the power of his word. Here it is, right? This is what I skipped over. He provided purification for sins. And he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He made purification for these sins. That word sin is the most common used word for sin in the Bible. Literally means just to miss the mark. Just, you're aiming at a target and you miss. It's deeper than that, though. It goes a little little deeper. Because the question is, what is the target? What target am I looking at that I'm missing? And Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Same word for sinned. For all have sinned, for all have missed the mark, and here's the mark. They fell short of the glory of God. So literally, anything that I do that I'm not bringing God glory can sneak into the realm of sin. This is why it's so damning. I can come to church for the wrong reasons, and it's sin. I can do other things. It's sin, and this... This starts to get really heavy on me, that I'm missing this mark of the glory of God, only it's even worse than that. Imagine if you and I had some kind of bow and arrow. You can have whatever you want. If you like compound bows, more power to you. I've got a long bow, and let's just say this. Let's say that we are aiming at the same target that's on the moon. So though you spend a lot of money on your, on your neat little Hoyt compound bow, and I've just got my old school longbow, and we're both aiming up to the sky to hit this target on the moon, it's, it's laughable, right? The arrows go up, your arrow may go twice, three times as far as mine, but it still doesn't matter, they're just gonna come sadly tumbling back down to earth, missing the mark. This is what we're talking about. This means anything can be sin. And here's the problem with that. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin, same word, missing the mark, the wages for missing the mark is death. So I can't hit the glory of God. Even close. I mean, I can't even get close enough to where I can at least tell God, man, I was close. Right? Like my kids to clean their room and they pick up a couple of things and they're like, look, 
And the whole thing's just over here is awful, but they cleaned up this one little tiny itty bitty minute section and they're wanting grace for that. Look, Dad. I can't even point to that because I'm, it's so laughable how short I am on this. But then again enters Jesus. And it says that he, he provided the purification for that sin. He washed all that away. That missing the mark is gone in Jesus. That means my life no longer is measured by me missing the mark. Do you know why? Because by faith I put it in Jesus and now when God looks at my life, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. No longer am I being measured by this, by this measurement of missing the mark. Now it's I hit it in the center every time because Jesus does. That I have, I have this over my life now. I have by faith placed the full weight of who I am on Jesus. I have done what Romans 10.9 says. It says if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I've done that. And so now no longer am I measured by this word sin. That's not my reality. Even when I'm even when I'm still guilty of it. This is where it blows my mind. Because I'm a rotten dude. I don't know if y'all know that. I, it's, it's a nice sweater, but I'm a rotten dude. And I'm, I mess up constantly. But I get to live in the truth that it's all washed away. He, he provided the purification for our sins. And the reason why I know that it's valid is because he has gone up into the majesty on high and God has put him right back in his rightful spot as king and said, my son, King Jesus says, Gary is clean, he's clean. Y'all should be smiling a little bit more because that's really great news. That when you decide to put your faith in Jesus, your sins are washed away and they're gone. That's crazy. But that is, what, that, is what, that is what Hebrews is all about. He's trying to get them to understand that Jesus is better. Don't go chasing other stuff because that other stuff's not dying for you on the cross. That other stuff's not raising from the dead, defeating death, and no longer has to fear any of that. Stop going back to that stuff because Jesus is better. So if you've placed anything in front of Jesus this morning, if you're in danger of being like these people, if I'm in danger of being like these people, we need to take careful attention, extraordinary attention to what we've heard and come back to a high view of Jesus. So Christian, if you're sitting there and you're struggling, come back to a high view of Jesus. Read the Gospel of John. Go back to Jesus. If you're not saved here this morning, if you've never given your life to Christ, you've never placed your life in Christ, there is only punishment and trusting in anything else other than Jesus. 
So come to Jesus, man. It says there, all you have to do is declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. That means the foundations of who you are, that God raised him from the dead because only God could do that and only God could raise from the dead. And it says that you will be saved. Confession that Jesus is Lord means that everything else isn't. Do that today and be saved. You'll never regret it because exactly like Hebrews is telling us, life with Jesus is better. It's better. I promise you that. From a dude that's made a lot of mistakes and a lot of sins, life with Jesus is better. I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind to bow your head. Father, we're so grateful for all that you do for us. We're so grateful for your great grace in our lives. Lord, we need it. I'm so grateful for Jesus. He he should not have died in my place. The perfect Lord of glory, the exact representation of who you are, should have never been put on a cross that belonged to me. But yet, you did it. Because that was the only way. That was the only way for me to be able to come to you to have my sin washed away, perfect Jesus, who lived a perfect life, had to die like he didn't. So that me, who has a rotten life, can now live like I have always had a perfect life. I'm so thankful for that. Lord, help us to, to get a high view of Jesus, to not let that ever lower to be like this writer and even use uncommon words to talk about your son, King Jesus. Help us to have a high view always of who he is and what he has done for each one of us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for for keeping this book in your scriptures and, and preserving it all these years so that we can have it and have the truth. It's needed. Lord, we love you. Your son's precious and holy name. Amen.